Hello, I'm Richard Carey, and welcome to Years of Hurt, a very appropriate title for today's show, an international football podcast. And we're going to be looking back at the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar with the quarterfinals, where things have been really hotting up. On this episode, I'll be recapping all the action from the quarterfinals, including Croatia versus Brazil, Netherlands versus Argentina, Morocco versus Portugal, and yeah, England versus France as well. So we're a bit downtrodden for obvious reasons, and the years of hurt do continue. But before we start, I want to thank everyone who's downloaded and listened to this podcast. We've had loads of people checking out our World Cup preview episode, so thanks very much for that. Got to start off with a positive on this kind of episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Years of Hurt wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at YOHFootball. Before we get to the England match, we're going to talk about a few bits of news. Uh, Raheem Sterling rejoined the England squad on Friday and did feature in the match against France briefly. Obviously, he left the squad following a break-in at his house last week. I didn't think he would get back for the France game, but there you go. And he did train with the squad on Friday ahead of the match. There's been a few coaches departing since they got knocked out of the World Cup, including Tite, the Brazil coach, and also Luis Enrique has left his role as Spain boss after they were knocked out of the last 16 by Morocco. Enrique had been in charge since 2018 and took the team to the Euro 2020 semi-finals. There was also reports that Ronaldo had threatened to quit the Portugal squad after being dropped for their second round match against Switzerland. Apparently that was rubbish though, but he still wasn't very happy about the decision. And again, he didn't start uh, for Portugal in their match against Morocco. Finally, we have a bit of sad news that US journalist Grant Wall sadly died after suffering an apparent heart attack during the Netherlands versus Argentina match. He was 48 years old. The US Soccer Federation said in a statement... Here in the United States, Grant's passion for soccer and commitment to elevating its profile across our sporting landscape played a major role in helping to drive interest in and respect for our beautiful game. As important Grant's belief in the power of the game to advance human rights was and will remain an inspiration to all. Rest in peace, Grant. It's Kane. It's blasted over the bar. And it's penalty heartbreak the England captain Hugo Lloris receives the congratulations but the England support is bewildered often so reliable from the spot so let's talk about um, that match France versus England where the hype was pretty ridiculous going into it it was a former world champions against the Euro 2020 finalists France last faced England at the World Cup way back in their opening game of 1982, where England won 3-1 thanks to a brace from Brian Robson. Since then, they have met four times in the Euros with three draws and one win for France. Both impressed in their last 16 games with three goal wins as France beat Poland 3-1, while England swept past Senegal with a 3-0 victory. So both sides came into the game as evenly as possible in terms of form and talent. Who would make the difference on the night? So in the first half, a pretty early goal for France as Griezmann laid it off to Tuamane. Really great goal, actually. A really well-struck shot with his right foot to make it 1-0. England could have had a penalty before the break as Saka was taken down. It wasn't quite in the... It, wasn't, it was a little bit of a 
question about whether it was in the box or not. In the second half, England actually did get a penalty with Saka taking down a very blatant penalty. I mean, if you didn't give that, you wouldn't give anything. And Harry Kane stuck it away in the left side of the net to make it 1-1. Things were looking good for England, actually, at this point. They're playing very well attackingly. Um, Maguire had a header that hit the outside of the post. Had a few good chances. Nothing really clear-cut exactly. Then came the killer blow as Griezmann crossed the ball from the left onto the head of Giroud, who had been threatening with a couple of chances just before that to go make it France 2, England 1. Then, in the dramatic twist, England got yet another penalty as Mason Mount was taken down in the, in the box by Hernandez. It was a really unnecessary foul, actually. I don't know if Mount was even going to get the ball. Kane stepped up and, you know, thinking, okay, he scored the first one. You favour him again. And my God, he blasted it over the bar. Maybe the pressure got to him. You could see he was pressured from the first penalty by respotting anything. And sadly, I kind of knew after that moment what was going to happen. Eight minutes of stoppage time, but there wasn't any clear chances for England. And yes, England are out. 2-1 to France, it finished. I'm trying to process this game a little bit because... Like I predicted before the match, it was going to be great for the neutral. And I think I got that spot on because it was actually, you know, a really good end-to-end sort of attacking game. It's one of the very um, attacking teams. I think France were quite, what's the word, efficient, I guess the word is. Like they weren't attacking unless they thought they were going to score. Whereas England had a lot of the ball, but didn't do a lot with it. There were certain questions about England, particularly... Uh, in that midfield in the first half. I think Declan Rice had a bit of a talking to at halftime and Pickford was vocal with him and he did pick up his performance in the second half. And actually England did quite a good job about taking Mbappe out of the game. Maybe a bit of a too good job. He did actually skin, completely skin Walker once. But apart from that, he was pretty quiet in this game. But I think France worked around that quite well and actually used players like Griezmann, who probably was the man of the match here, I mean, Griezmann actually set up both goals. So I think they used their other players better and that that didn't really matter in the end, actually. And maybe this shows that France are a very strong team rather than just about being about one player. You know what I mean? It's it's hard to say what went wrong. I mean, obviously the penalty went wrong. <laughs> that's, that's an obvious one. And England getting done by penalties, but not in a penalty shootout is incredibly ironic. But uh, it's always hard, I suppose, when you've got multiple penalties in a game to score all of them, although it seems very easy. And there's so many teams in this, in this, particularly in the quarterfinals, that have been done by penalties. You know, if I'm being honest about it, I think if England had equalised and got it to extra time, after missing that penalty, if it goes to penalties, you're screwed anyway. You're probably screwed anyway because you're England, but you're definitely screwed if, if Kane's just completely lost his confidence. It's annoying because England played well and at times you just thought they were going to win, actually. And I think when it was 1-1... That was really the point we thought England would press on and win. It didn't happen. And France were a lot more clinical. I think they managed that the game management was pretty good as well. England didn't really have a lot of chances in open play, I guess you could say. I mean, the best chances came from set pieces. You could probably pick the manager up for two things. Southgate, you could say, should he have played five at the back to try and shore up that defence? Because I do think there was a few defensive frailties that you know perhaps would have stopped a goal if not both of them you would uh, if he had played that formation he would have got criticized for playing too defensively 
and that might have affected England's chances of actually going forward. The other thing you could say is the substitutions, which I would probably think is a better criticism, because Southgate didn't really... I think he used four subs in the end, but Grealish literally came on for about a minute. I mean, I know the, the goal was relatively late in the game, I guess. Well, it wasn't that late. So he could have he could have done more to turn the game round then. I think maybe England should have maybe looked at what, what the Dutch did against Argentina, which we'll talk about a bit later. They had a very direct style of play to get back in the game. But England decided to keep playing that style. And I think that was epitomised by Rashford's last-minute free kick, where he he took a free kick, put it over the ball. I was thinking, should he have played it short? And <laughs> that would have been... They might have caught him out. But maybe that lightning doesn't strike twice and all that. It, it does show you that every time England face, like, you know, a decent team, they always fall down. I mean, really, when you look at South... Although Southgate's had a really good record, he's got very lucky with the draws, hasn't he? With the Euros... And with the World Cup, in that they miss most of the big teams. Obviously, beat Germany in the Euros, but they're kind of a weaker Germany side. So you're missing. So you miss teams like France. You didn't miss Italy in the Euros, but obviously lost. Brazil, Argentina, these these kind of elite teams that you expect England, you know, to struggle against, and they obviously struggle against them. So it's it's just sad, really, because it just feels like this team, this England team, was better and played better than the England sides of the past. Because so usually it's very easy to rip into an England team just after they've lost a World Cup quarterfinal, which is not a, a, a unique thing at all. You know, it happened in 2006. It happened in 2002. Uh, but usually it's kind of a poor performance. England didn't play poorly. There were questions, but they weren't, didn't play poorly. It's one of those it didn't feel like it was England's day. I think also another player who played really well for France was Hugo Lloris, who, you know, you could kind of tell it was his day when that missed penalty happened and that he was, you know, catching the ball all the time. Just thinking, yeah, fair play, mate. It's kind of sad because obviously the big the big prediction was that England would actually there was a big like Greg Dyke prediction. I don't know if you remember this from like 2010, where he predicted England would get to the semi-finals of the World Cup and then maybe be finalists of the Euros and then win the 2022 World Cup. Well, two of his three predictions came true, but the third one didn't. And it makes you wonder where England go from here because they've obviously got a lot of quality players coming through, like a lot better than they were. It kind of feels like Southgate's got to a point as well where he's not really going to get much further with this set of players. Like he's done really well to to, to do what England have done over the last six years from basically being a, a substitute manager is pretty great. But the question is, where do you go from here? And there's not many England managers who really last this long. I mean, you think he's last? I think he's now been there longer than Sven Goran Eriksson, who was there for about five. Was it five or six? I think it was five years. Sven was there, not quite as long as Bobby Robson. I think you'd have to do another tournament to go longer than Robson. And to be honest, you're not going to get a lot of practice of these games because they got relegated from the Nations League, so they're playing worse sides, and they're already losing to sides in the Nations League. You know, they're going to have a pretty easy qualifying, as ever. So we're only really going to get these games at World Cups and Euros. So how do England prepare for this level of competition and actually are able to beat them? That is the real question. I don't know if there's a cut and dry answer for that. Maybe maybe, maybe the answer is hopefully over time France become a worse team. But is that likely with Mbappe still being very much the start of his career? You know, I don't really know. 
And, you know, they've actually done really well bringing in players who probably wouldn't have played for them if they hadn't had injuries and really, you know, stepping up. You look how good Giroud's been in this tournament when, you know, if Benzema was fit, would he even be on, in the squad? Would he be playing? There was even a, there was even questions whether he'd even be in that squad. If you follow England, you just know, almost expect that disappointment is coming at some point. And I guess Southgate brought up a bit of hope and... England have been done by a difficult draw, much more difficult draw than in previous years, which may have been more favourable had certain results gone their way. But France topping that group and obviously pushing forward against Poland, having a relatively easy second round tie. Well, England did as well. It's tough to take, really. It's tough to take that England have lost. And there's definitely positives to take for the tournament. You know, Jude Bellingham... Saka, I think, has been great. And I, I did think at one point in the game he wasn't playing very well, but then he really stepped it up and, you know, uh, he was great. You've got a lot of a lot of attacking options, probably too many. The problem is they don't give him enough time to be on the pitch anyway to actually make any difference. I don't know. It's just not coming together. It's not, it's not against those world-class teams, like a France, it's just not happening. So, yeah, I mean, overall, very disappointing to be out at this point. When you look at how open the World Cup has been and how many shocks has been, it would have been an amazing opportunity for England to win the World Cup and maybe they wouldn't have got a better one. But, you know, it's over and they've got to move on. And I think one, one of the things you might say is positive is positive for Premier League managers because their English players now are going to get two weeks off instead of one week off because if they got through the semi-finals, they would have had to play on Saturday or Sunday, either in the third place playoff or in the final. So... It has been a good thing for Premier League managers. Maybe not if, if you've got to worry about John Stones' injury for Man City. That might be a problem. But apart from that, it's good news for Premier League managers who are worried about their players who are coming home. The football is not coming home, though. Sorry. Nesri! Goalkeeper at fault. No question about that. But more pertinently... Strike. Right, we're off to see who would face France in the semi-finals. Morocco proved a tough side to beat once again in the last 16 and shocked Spain on penalties to prevent an Iberian derby. Portugal had been electric against Switzerland, scoring six goals, including a hat-trick from Ronaldo's replacement Ramos. Would the unbeaten Morocco or the goal-hungry Portugal make it through to the last four? Portugal had a free kick early and Joao Felix were a great header, but it was a great save by Bono, really. The ball once again fell to Joao Felix on the edge of the box. A lovely shot and a big deflection and it almost took it in, but took it wide. Then Morocco on the attack and El Nasri scored the goal with a great header, beating the keeper to the ball. Diego Costa was all at sixes and sevens, a great header really, to put it into an open net. 1-0 to Morocco. Portugal came back. A nuts volley by Fernandes, went way up in the air, was looping down, Bono was beaten, but it hit the bar. Another attack from Morocco, just wide from Ali Yetin. I think he slipped and he was taking the shot. Sadly, it didn't go in. So in the second half... I don't. Uh, there was a great opportunity for Morocco. A free kick coming in for the right, almost a header from Al Yakim, but he just put it wide. 
Portugal looked for that equaliser, but Ramos headed the ball wide. Silva played the ball back to Fernandes. He absolutely levered it, but it went over, just went over the bar. Ronaldo laid it off to Gerald Felix with a thunder. Absolute thunderous shot and a great save by Bono. A through ball to Ronaldo and another save by Bono. Not quite enough power on that one. Chidiru came on in the 56th minute, was shown two yellow cards and sent off in stoppage time for a foul. What a contribution he had to this match. Arrive, get sent off, leave. Then the final whistle went. A historic victory. Morocco won. Portugal nil. Morocco becoming the first African nation ever to qualify for the semi-finals of a World Cup. And Portugal are going home. That, and Cristiano Ronaldo was not very happy about it. He did come off the bench, but he did cry when he was going down the tunnel. Once again, Portugal miss out on a World Cup victory. Well, Morocco worked very, very hard to win this game. So much pressure from Portugal, particularly in that second half. It was all Portugal and Morocco are hanging on and hanging on, hanging on. And I was expecting Portugal to get an equaliser. They just didn't, though. And what they've proved to be at this tournament is a really difficult team to beat. And they've been really, been doing really well defensive. And I think their keeper, Bono's had a great, another great keeper in this tournament. It's been, it's been a tournament of great keepers, really. This really has that sort of feel of South Korea getting to the semi-finals back in the 2002 World Cup, which has a lot of similarities, I think, with this one, apart from the, the weird times. When, you know, you used to have like seven o'clock kickoffs in the uh, Japan and South Korea World Cup. Like seven o'clock, seven, I mean AM, not PM. So this was a more normal time. But in terms of the shocks, it seems to be quite similar. And who would have thought Morocco, real giant killers at this tournament? They knocked out Belgium effectively in the group stage. Spain in the round of sixteen, Portugal in the quarterfinals. What a fantastic run they've had! Whatever happens, done themselves proud here. They are now the most successful African site and. Pretty much the de facto home nation at this tournament in terms of how much support they've got. I think it's them and Argentina who seem to have the most support at the World Cup who are left in it. Morocco really kind of frustrated Portugal's flow, which they had in that game against Switzerland. And it probably shows how poor Switzerland were in that game because Ramos had so much uh, joy against them and he had no joy whatsoever. He's basically out of the game in this one. And then to bring on Ronaldo relatively early, we didn't really I was kind of thinking it was sort of written in the stars for Ronaldo to sort of score a header and get the equaliser but that didn't happen so there we go and you know it was a real dogged performance by Morocco to make it into the semi-finals and I've got to say they've got to be the sort of fan favourite now Morocco out of the teams left in the tournament you know the, the real underdogs you really hope they go all the way and win the World Cup as unlikely as it is more likely it is that they'll end up in the third place playoff. But you never know. You never know. Especially how... The, and they have been giant killers. Why can't they... Maybe they could even knock out France in the semi-finals. Borsic. Oh, it's Croatian! Elation! Bruno Pekovic! Well, the quarterfinals got underway on Friday afternoon as Croatia faced off with five-time world champions Brazil. The favourites were heavily tipped for this one after a dominant 4-1 victory against South Korea in the last 16. 
However, Croatia loved to take the long way round. They held on to a 1-1 draw with Japan to win on penalties to advance to the final eight. But could Croatia do the same again against the mighty Brazil? There was a cross in the box to Perisic, but he couldn't get enough on it to steer it into the net. Vinicius Jr. went on a run for Brazil, a 1-2 with a Carlson, but Vinny's shot was blocked. In the second half, Militao played in a low cross. Garvidal almost put it in his own net and was saved by Levajevic's foot. Vinny Jr. played it to Neymar, but his shot was blocked, but Croatia couldn't get it clear. Vinny Jr. picked it up again and his shot was saved by Levajevic. What a game he was on. Carlson played the ball through to Neymar, but his sliding shot was straight at the keeper. Paqueta managed to steal the ball in the box, but another good save by Levajevic. Rakalson put it through to Neymar, and guess what? Another save by Levajevic. He closes down strikers like his Peter Schmeichel. Casemiro crossed it in from the right to Rodrigo, who played it back to Paqueta, but his shot was straight down the throat of the keeper. So at full time, it was Croatia nil, Brazil nil, and that meant extra time. In extra time, Croatia actually had an attack after Lovren won the ball from a tackle. Modric played it to Petkovic down the left, a ball to Brozovic, but his shot was poor and over the bar. Finally, we got the breakthrough after a bit of class from Neymar. He had a 1-2 with Rodrigo, then a 1-2 with Militao, and then went round the keeper and fired it into the top of the net. 1-0 to Brazil. Neymar equaled Pele's Brazil scoring record with that goal and looked like he was going to take Brazil into the last eight. But then, Orsic ran down the left wing, pulled it back to Pekovic, and his deflected shot ended up in the left corner of the net in the 117th minute. 1-1. And Petkovic took his shirt off. He was so excited. After extra time, could you believe it? Croatia won. Brazil won. And that meant penalties. Could Croatia win two in a row? Well, they got to take the first penalty. And Vlasic hit it high and down the middle to make it 1-0. Rodrigo stepped up for Brazil. He hit it to the right, but it was saved by Levajevic. Meyer hit it down the middle. He got a little lucky that Allison didn't say it with his foot and extended Croatia's lead to 2-0. Casemiro had a great Rude van Nistelrooy-style penalty to pull one back, 2-1. Modric penalty was low and to the left. Good stuff here. 3-1 to Croatia. A bit of a stutter in the run-up for Pedro, but he comfortably put it away to make it 3-2. Another great penalty this time from Orsic, low and to the left corner. Allison guessed the right way, but just couldn't get to it. 4-2. Then Marquinhos stepped up to take the fourth penalty, but he hit the post. Croatia won on penalties 4-2. Favourites Brazil out of the World Cup. Can you even believe it? So I listened to this on the radio at work, and I think the first half was a bit of a chore, really. Not much was going on. But in the second half, Brazil really stepped it up. But Levajevic, absolutely brilliant in terms of all those chances he was saving from Paqueta and Neymar and Vinicius Jr., I mean, the stats from this game are nuts. Like, Brazil had 21 shots and 11 on target. Croatia had 9, 1 on target, which was the goal. So it shows you how much dominance Brazil had, but just couldn't do anything with it. After that Neymar goal, you felt certain that Brazil were going to get through. And I wonder if they'll start a petition to bring back the golden goal rule, because then they would have got through. I don't know if Croatia deserved to win, but they're definitely the World Cup battlers. They've shown that in 2018 and here again in 2022. You can kind of compare them with Belgium because they're an ageing side, but Croatia having so much more success than Belgium. I wonder if they fancy another 120 minutes in the semi-finals. Before we go, I have to say one thing though. Never let your best penalty taker take the fifth penalty because you might not get a fifth penalty. Why did they wait for Neymar? 
he should have taken the first penalty or at very least the third penalty. And, you know, that, that proved to be crucial. You don't want to miss your first penalty either because that really puts you on the back foot. So in terms of the penalty lineup, Brazil played it all wrong. And so it falls to Lautaro Martinez. If he scores, Argentina can celebrate. And how they will celebrate! The Albiceleste are through to a fifth World Cup semi-final. And just their second since 1990. So from the 1978 World Cup final to France 98 in the quarterfinals, there have been many memorable encounters between the Netherlands and Argentina in the World Cup. And this one was once again hotly anticipated. Both sides had nervy moments in their round 16 ties, but stemmed the tide as the Dutch beat the USA 3-1 and Argentina held on to a 2-1 lead against Australia. The Argentines found themselves as the last South American side left in the competition, could they keep the continent's hopes alive, or would European dominance be the order of the day? So in the first half, Messi played it to the pool and it was straight to the keeper. Messi went on a run and slotted in a lovely ball to Molina and he put it in the net. His right foot shot went in, 1-0 to Argentina. In the second half, there was a free kick to Argentina. Messi hit the free kick, which was just over. I think I think Noppet could have been better positioned on his line. Acuna was brought down in the box by Dumfries. I didn't look like it was much in it for me and it was only just in the box. But a penalty was given and Messi stepped up and chunked it into the right-hand side of the net to make it 2-0 to Argentina. And suddenly, the Dutch woke up. Where Corsten de Jong came on, there was a cross from the right by Gagpo and headed in at the near post by Veghorst to make it 2-1. There was another cross. It was headed down by de Jong and Berghaus's absolutely levered shot was into the side netting. I thought for a minute it was in the net. Argentina gave away a needless free kick on the edge of the box. Miners passed it along the ground, the absolute cheek, and Veghorst slotted it into the net. I can't believe that free kick. I thought it was like the worst free kick ever, or the best, depending on how you look at it. It felt like he completely stuffed it, but actually it was a moment of genius, as it was 2-2 as it equalised in the 100th minute. And that's how it was at full-time, Netherlands 2, Argentina 2. In extra time, Gakpo had a kind of shot cross, but it went over the bar. Not far off, though. Fernandez played it across to Martinez. It deflected off Van Dijk and went wide. Messi played it to Fernandez. A deflection off Veghorst. It had not at beat, but it just went over. Di Maria had a corner that almost went in directly, but the keeper had to save it. Fernandez's shot from outside the box hit the post. And after extra time, it was Netherlands 2, Argentina 2. That meant penalties again. So in the shootout... The Dutch stepped up first with Virgil van Dijk and his shot to the left was saved by Martinez at full stretch. Messi scored the first for Argentina to make it 1-0. Berghaus put the pen to the right and another great save by Martinez. Certainly a lot of goalkeepers on form in the shootouts. Paredes, Coppermeiners and Montiel all scored their goals to make it 3-1. Then Vegas hit it to the bottom left to make it 3-2. Fernandez's penalty went wide, though, a golden opportunity for Argentina to win there and a little bit of hope for the Netherlands. De Jong went down the middle and scored. Martinez had the decisive penalty and he scored it. Argentina won 4-3 on penalties. First thing to talk about is something we haven't mentioned yet, and that is the yellow cards in this match, which were insane. 
So I will try and go through all the bookings for you. So here's all the players that got booked. For Netherlands, Timber, Dumfries, Lang, Bergwijn, Berghorst, Depay and Veghorst. And then for Argentina, it was Montiel, Pezella, Romero, Osamendi, Lissandro Martinez, Acuna, Paredes and Messi. That brings it to a grand total of 15 yellow cards. But that's not all. Dumfries, right? He got booked and sent off in the penalty shootout. So not even in open play. Has that ever happened before? I don't think it's ever happened before. And there was a massive ruckus towards the end of the game when, I can't remember, I think it was Fernandez or something, like blasted the ball towards the sub bench. The sub bench all came out and Van Dyke actually knocked him over. And apparently Van Dyke didn't get booked for this, but then I'm, I'm really confused. Actually, Van Dyke, it doesn't say he had a booking, but I'm pretty sure he got booked. So maybe this is me looking at the BBC uh, stats. So maybe they did not even update. I'm pretty sure Van Dyke did actually get booked in this match. Anyway, it was nuts in terms of, it looked like at one point it was going to completely break down and everyone gets sent off. And I thought it was quite amazing. I didn't even know someone got sent off until I actually looked at the live text and saw that Dumfries had got sent off after, I think it was after the last penalty, like after the game's gone and it's mad. And it felt like the the way they actually managed to get 120 minutes with 22 players on the pitch was quite amazing. I think someone also in the dugout for Argentina also got booked, although they're not actually obviously in play. So yeah, disciplinary was off the scale, which you kind of half expect with the Dutch sometimes with these kinds of matches. And because of that, it was very stop-start and the referee was kind of quite strict about free kicks and stuff. Some of his cards were a bit harsh, in fairness, although some of them were very much deserved. I have to say the Dutch really dug in well after going 2-0 down. It seemed they weren't really trying before. They completely changed their tactics. So they put Van Dijk up front and they started playing long ball football. You know, the old school sort of English football where you're just walloping it up and just chunk it up to the big guy, head it down or head it in the net. You know, that that's the way to play. And it's really quite a basic kind of Route 1 style football, but it bloody worked. And then actually flip it on its head for that second goal where everyone thought, you know, it was going to be a direct free kick and then just passing the ball was absolutely quality. But why did they stop playing like that? As soon as it was 2-2 and the final whistle happened, they went back to normal. It's just like... Why? You were doing so well. You should have just kept going with that. I don't understand why more teams don't kind of treat extra time like sudden death or, or play kind of reservedly in extra time. I think you should just say, right, we're going to just go for it. If we lose, we lose. We could win this. And that's the way to go. Rather than playing for penalties when, you know, the Dutch are not good at penalties. They don't want to have penalties. I always favoured Argentina in a penalty shootout. You know, Martinez... A great keeper in terms of the shootouts. They've, they've, they've got to try and win this. And it's really sad that they didn't try and go for it, especially considering they had that momentum and they kind of lost it in extra time, if anything. It does kind of feel there's this kind of momentum behind Argentina, although they haven't been they haven't set the world on fire in this World Cup. They seem to have a way of getting through. And I'm starting to think whether it's inevitable that they're going to win this tournament. The story behind it with Messi and it's probably being his last tournament and everything kind of feels like that's the way the wind's blowing, especially when consider the other sides who are now out of the tournament that they won't have to face for better or worse. I'm not, not saying that it's going to be an easy ride for them 
in the semi-final against Croatia. I don't think it will be at all, as Croatia has shown. It does feel like maybe the, the wind is blowing in an Argentine direction. So we'll have to wait and see if that actually comes to fruition. But it seems like they've got an excellent chance of bringing home the trophy next week. Okay, let's have a look at those semi-finals, as well as having a look at my predictions for the quarterfinals, which weren't 100% right, but actually were much closer than I thought they would be. So the predictions were 50% right, I can tell you, with predicting that Argentina would beat the Netherlands and Croatia would beat Brazil, which, yeah, we we predicted that. But it got the other two wrong. Today, it got the Saturdays wrong as it predicted England would beat France. And I did, I did say at the time, maybe that's an omen that England would lose and that Portugal would beat Morocco and obviously Morocco won. So there you go. You know, it's not, it's not been that accurate, this predictor, but we'll see how it goes for the semifinals. So on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, it will be Argentina versus Croatia. And on Wednesday night at 7, it's going to be France versus Morocco. No England. <laughs> not fair. But my random predictor is saying that Morocco will beat France to get to the final. And it's saying the other game, Croatia would beat Argentina. Which would be quite the uh, upset. That's one thing I would say about this uh, this draw for the semi-finals is that we could have two teams who had never won the World Cup in the final of Croatia and Morocco, which would be a hell of a final. I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. It could well be the third place playoff. We could also have a World Cup final with two teams who have won the World Cup twice in Argentina and France. So someone will be guaranteed a third World Cup. Now, it's hard to write off Croatia at this point because they've just been so sort of dogged and staying in it but I would have to favour Argentina in that one and Morocco and France the same sort of thing you can say about Morocco I mean they're still undefeated aren't they they still haven't lost they've only conceded one goal in the whole tournament although England had only conceded two goals in a tournament before the France game and we saw how that went you would expect Argentina versus France in the final but it's not nailed on at all Mbappe versus Messi that's how they'll be building it there is a team of 11 players versus 11, you know. It's not just one person. I think Croatia-Argentina, if it went to penalties, would be really interesting because they're two keepers. You know, Levajevic and Martinez are probably the two best keepers in the tournament at saving penalties. So it could be a 1-0. Who knows? Anyway, we will be covering the semifinals. If you join us next week, we'll have all the review of the semifinals, even though England are out and all the home nations are out. And, you know, it's at least going to be 58 years of hurt now which is a bit of a shame. And probably Free Lions Christmas is not going to get to number one, but there you go. Thanks for listening to this year's episode. Maybe you can subscribe to the podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, just search for Years of Herp. And you follow us on Twitter at YHFootball. We will be back to talk about the semifinals at pretty much the end of next week. We hope you join us for that one. And from me, Richard Carey, it's goodbye. Goodbye.